Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Brazil. This is a show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, and we get to talk about everything in between. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, like and subscribe on YouTube, five-star review on Spotify, and five-star review and leave some nice words for me over on Apple Podcasts. More importantly today, my incredible guest, I have Greg Carlson. He's a former walk-on at USC, might have won a couple national championships, but we'll get to that. He's an entrepreneur, and he's the CEO and founder of Hall of Goats. Greg, how you doing today, man? Good, man. Appreciate you having me. Good to be here. Pleasure is all mine. Excited to talk about NFTs and blockchains and national championships and marketplaces. But before we get to all the fun stuff, Greg, first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Oh, man, sports is so critical for my life just because um, I grew up playing it. That's where I met all of my friends as a child. And it led me to places that um, still to this day shape my career and my circle of friends and, you know, the people that I interact with. I think sports opens up so many doors for people. Um, And that's just my my personal experience. But aside from that, just being a fan of sports, appreciating the time and effort and dedication that it's required to play at a high level, no matter the sport. I remember when I first got out of college – one of my best friends and roommates after college played uh, college soccer and played in Europe. And I would think, you know, growing up, like soccer, like, dude, soccer is like whatever. You, The minute you try and play it, you realize just how skilled those guys are. And I am left-footed, but it felt like I had two left feet trying to dribble the ball. So, um, so sports is fantastic. I mean, it brings communities together. You know, you get these incredible, like, moments in time where things happen in sports that never should happen. And, you know, that's why we play the game, because it doesn't always unfold the way that people assume. And, uh, I mean, obviously, incredible businesses established around sports. So I I think sports is is fantastic. And it's done a lot for me personally. But I think that it's, you know, got a huge place in this world as well. It, it really does, and it's always something you can go to any country in the world, right? And they're always there's some sort of sport that they love. Maybe it's cricket. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going on. But you go to India, cricket, cricket's their NFL times ten. Like it's absolutely right. bonkers, like what they're capable of. So like in soccer, I just started watching soccer only because in the pandemic it was the first sport that came back. So I said, you know what? I'm watching a bunch of soccer now. It's the only thing that I can get my some sort of competitive fix just to watch green grass and a ball like that's all I really need right on a, on a Saturday and a Sunday morning so I 100% agree with you man and you said something in there that I think is really important too right to this story specifically opening up doors with sports I like right all these businesses that are possible right? a couple years ago it was really just if you want to work in sports you're gonna you're gonna sell tickets or do you want to become a sports agent now mm-hmm. you could think of literally any opportunity in sports if it doesn't exist already it probably should and maybe you're the person to do it so excited to talk to you a little bit about some of the cool stuff that you're doing but opening up doors, I think, is really important uh, in the world of sports, right? I always love talking to former athletes and, and specifically athletes that played on, on big teams, right? You played for USC, talk, spoke to multiple NFL athletes across, and it's just like, hey, man, when you have that shield, when you have the, you know, Greg Carlson, USC football player, right, that, that, that after your name, you know, that comma, UFC, USC football player, that carries a lot of weight, especially when you're in college. Especially when you're in college, especially if you're from a big team, especially if you're in the area, right? So I'm sure you felt a little bit of that, and I'm excited to kind of dive into some of that. So yeah, let's just talk about. I mean, you you walked on at USC, won a couple national championships, roommate with Matt Liner. I mean, this is like already starting to sound like a fairy tale. I guess like mm-hmm. where where do you where do you usually begin your story, Greg? Yeah, it's, uh, let's see. I mean, you know, I grew up playing. Um, football in the San Fernando Valley in the suburbs of Southern California. Um, You know, I was a pretty good player. So that led me to, you know, a network of guys that um, played in a different area of Los Angeles. And they kind of recruited me to go play over there. And I left one school to go play at another. And it turns out that my offensive coordinator at the school that I played at as a senior, his name's Steve Clarkson. He's somewhat of a quarterback guru, especially in uh, Southern California area. He was really good friends um, with Norm Chow, so he, who was the offensive coordinator at USC at the time. 
And he said to Norm, hey, I've got a player for you that I think you should um, take a look at. And at the time, USC didn't have any scholarships available, but I met with Norm and he said, hey, Steve thinks the world of you. So, you know, I'd like to invite you to come walk on at, at USC and see how you do. So um, I did that. And in my second year, I secured the starting punt return role and ultimately earned a scholarship um, that fall because of the work that I did on the field. But, you know, it was because of sports that, you know, broadened my network and allowed me an introduction to Norm Chow and USC. That's incredible, man. And there's a couple pieces of that story that I'm going to touch upon a little bit later in the conversation, I think. But, I mean, I just got to ask, like, big school, L.A., what's it like winning a national championship there, man? Like, is it, is it, is it what yeah. I think? It, like, you don't have to go into specifics because I think we might get arrested, but like, is it what I think it is or am I not thinking big enough? Is it? Uh, well, I think, you know, offline we could talk about what your idea of big is and mine. You know, look, I'll tell you this. Our first year we weren't what we became, right? Our first year we were six and seven or something like that. Went to a bowl game, got beat by Utah at the Las Vegas bowl. And like, you know, that was a fun experience. Don't get me wrong. You're playing college football. You're still at Southern Cal, which is an awesome school. And there's plenty of, you know, networking opportunities and things happening in Los Angeles. But it was that next year when we started to realize we were pretty good as a football team. And the two years after that is when we won the national championships. What I say is this, when we were playing at USC, there was no professional football team in Los Angeles. So when we did start to to make a lot of noise in college football, it was a massive you know deal and momentum. I think in Los Angeles, we would have thousands of players on our practice field, and the Coliseum had a capacity of ninety two thousand in every single game. That place was rocking with ninety two thousand people, and you know from high school to college, it's it's a big transition, right? Because you're on such such a much bigger space you're on so much of a bigger stage in college than you are otherwise in, in high school. So we're getting police escorts to every place that we go to, right? Hotels are all five-star accommodations. There's just zero that you have to worry about as a player. And it felt really special and really big. And then you look at the sidelines and there's Snoop Dogg and Nick Lachey and Will Ferrell and the who's who of, of you know, entertainment and Hollywood is sitting on the sideline there to watch us. And, you know, we were winning and, and all of that was, was really awesome. Um, a really fun time for sure. So it, yeah, it, I, we enjoyed it. Yeah. It sounds like a really fun time. I mean, when you look back on it, does it, does it even seem real? Because like you, you've come yeah. so far and doing so many other things, like looking back and thinking like, man, 18, 19, 20 year old me, like, as you said, you had no worries in the world, five-star hotel accommodations. Like that's got to be just so surreal looking back on something like that. Totally. Like you know, you're you're a young kid and you don't know what you don't know and probably don't appreciate it either, right? It was just given it to it, you right? and you're like this is life. It's like actually it's this is not life. This is for 3 totally. years and you you know, be grateful for it. You know, and that's you know, I know we can get into this later for sure, but like this NIL opportunity that these kids are finding themselves in today where kids are making $30,000 up front for deals because of their celebrity while in college. But the reality is if they don't turn out to be professionals and they have to go get a real job, they'll soon realize that that $35,000 that was handed to them is no longer a thing. They're going to go have to, you know, work 40 hours a week for, you know, 10 months out of the year to earn that $35,000. So you know, a lot of these guys are probably and girls are are in for a rude awakening at some point. But I was, was going to say, thirty five k can only get you so far in Los Angeles, like after sure, that, yeah. right? Like it's only going <laughs> to get you so far, really, just yeah. anywhere in the country. But Los Angeles specifically, uh, it might it might not get you as far. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I was just going to say, um, you know, these kids are in for a rude awakening, and and once they're done with these glory years, and by the way, I'm all for this NIL change because I think that these kids deserve everything that they get while they're playing, playing sports. Well so that's all very well deserved. How someone can't take advantage of their own name, image and likeness was absolutely ridiculous. And now here we are and I'm grateful yeah. for it. I'm glad for it. Um, 
Might need some guardrails at some point, but we can kind of dive into that a little later in the conversation. While while you were at USC, you know, when we spoke prior, you said there was a, a professor that really kind of, I don't know, I'll let you use your words, but you, you, you kind of likened to him. Mentor, maybe that's a good good word to use. And, and he really helped kind of guide you down now where you are, this, the, the tech entrepreneur path. Mm-hmm. Was so. Tell me about that relationship. Tell me about that professor and how you guys kind of, I guess, uh, you know, became. So friends. my first semester at USC, I did not manage my time very well as what? A, as a as a eighteen year old kid not managing their time. That's ins- I don't believe you. So my grades suffered. My academic um, counselor said, "Hey, like if you have another semester like you just had, there's a good chance you get thrown out of this school." So. They recommended that I took this class, which was taught by. Uh, can I say his name? And that doesn't matter. Gosh, I imagine. Hey man, it's your friend, yeah. not mine. <laughs> so it, it was taught by a professor named Anthony Borges, and the class was technology entrepreneurship. Um, Anthony happens to be a USC alumni, was a former athlete, track athlete, and part of the Greek system. So I wa- I enrolled in the class, thinking, hey, this is just going to be. One of those, they call them bird courses because you fly right through them, right? So I'm in there. I take a look around. It's nothing but other football players and athletes. And then half the Greek system is in there because they're just frat guys. And they're probably thinking the same thing that I am. But I remember him kicking off our first lecture with making money on the internet and in technology and introducing new concepts like RFID tags and things like that that I'd never heard of. But as soon as I was introduced to them, my mind just started racing in terms of like different applications and how those things could make money and in business and yada, yada, yada. So I would, on a daily you know, basis after the lecture, I'd come up to him, start talking to him about things that were racing through my head after the lecture and different ways that I thought businesses could you know, use technology to, to generate revenue or different opportunities and things like that. And he says to me, hey, like, seems like you're the only one actually paying attention in this class. So why don't you, you know, when football is all said and done, this was my freshman year. So he said, when football's all said and done, um, why don't you come work with me? So I throw that into the back of my head. And the rest of the semester was awesome between us. And then we ended up becoming friends. I, uh, would help him with getting, you know, autograph signings of some of the guys on the team and tickets to some of the games. And he would introduce me to business folks in his network and kind of showing me the ropes. So then a few years later, we played Texas in the Rose Bowl. We lost the game. And I called him the day after and I said, hey, just checking to see if you might have a vacancy in your company. He had a startup that... This was pre-smartphone, right? So this is thinking feature phones like the Razer flip phone and the Motorola this and the Nextel that and the Chirp phones and all kinds of stuff, right? There were 300 different devices across North America. He had a startup that would take mobile titles and port them so that they would work across all the devices in North America. So I, uh, he hires me right out of college. I went to work for him like that Monday. He gave me a job at a startup. I was doing business development and just finding accounts that wanted to play in this mobile, like very early mobile web era. Um, and then six or seven months later, that company got acquired by Konami Digital Entertainment, a big um, Japanese video game publisher. And we worked and worked uh, at Konami. I did for two years roughly. And, um, that was my first taste of like a bureaucratic, like, you know, big company with thousands and thousands of people. And, um, yeah, that was like the next phase though. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, right? Like the, it, you had to be kind of an idiot 18 year old to fall into this class where you were then introduced to this professor, right? Like you were probably, you know, thought, oh, I'm doing so bad. Like all these things are wrong. Your parents are angry at you, right? But now you look back on the story and if it wasn't for all of those mess ups, you wouldn't have gotten here, right? Like I always yeah, look yeah. like looking back and kind of forks in the road situations. It's just pretty mm-hmm. cool uh, to see something like that. And it sounds like, yeah, obviously it worked out. Did you get, um, did you get equity in that first company before it was bought? 
Um, I did. I did nice. actually. Hey, yeah. We'll leave it at that. Congratulations. Yeah. 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 Got, got Congratulations. Yeah. Good for great. you. Good for you. I I always and, love. Yeah. I always ask people in startups, "Did you get equity?" Because that's really what we're here for, right? Changing yeah, the world, yeah. but also, you know, we're here to make a couple bucks. Um. So I think that that's pretty darn cool that you get that opportunity, and then, so so again, you're starting to see the right RFID tags. This was 2003. Yeah. Two? 2002. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Okay, RFID tags. I, most people probably don't know what an RFID tag is, but they or more that so they don't realize how often they use it. Maybe I guess is a good way to say it, right? Totally. Like they're 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 pretty prevalent, right? Like so, being into this twenty years prior to it being kind of commonplace, you then get into mobile applications, which again, twenty years prior to ten years, let's call it fifteen years prior to it being extremely commonplace. Mm-hmm. Like what? What is it? What are you doing, or what is it about you that allows you to see something and either accept it and say, "Yes, this is a good idea," or have the foresight to say, "You know, this might be pretty damn important in a couple years." Mm-hmm. Let's kind of travel down this path for a bit. So i I spend the first fifteen minutes of my mornings always looking at news, trying to make sure that I stay up to date with things that are happening in the industry, and. And, and just educating myself the best that I can to, to try and stay on top of everything. Like technology happens so fast. Um, and because of my you know daily routine, I think that it helps me identify trends potentially. So, I mean, not that, you know, when the iPhone launched, it wasn't that I was the one that had the foresight to understand that, oh, the iPhone was going to dominate. I just thought that, that was a crystallizing moment where a big enough company made a special enough piece of hardware that would allow an ecosystem to be built around it that would, you know, service billions of people in, in the right way. So when the iPhone came out, and mind you, I had tons of experience in the feature phone market, and I saw that there was a, a disruptable spot in that space where if somebody could figure out how to make one great device and ecosystem that took all of the friction and and hurdles out of all the different specs across hardware because the devices were different and the fact that AT&T has its own ecosystem and and you know database and Verizon has its and Sprint has its I felt like the iPhone when it came out on the when it came out I felt like this was the opportunity for a major company to bring all of this all of this fragmentation and all of this you know opportunity into one kind of approach and that's the opportunity that I saw when the iPhone was released and then when their you know app marketplace came out I was like oh yeah these guys are doing it the right way this is kind of what I envisioned long term and that's when I decided to jump headfirst into smartphone application development it's so easy to not see that though right especially in the business that you're in in what you're doing like your livelihood is is attached to needing all these different devices doing all these different things so that you can be one of the providers to help push everything across these devices right so almost Mm -hmm. almost out of a like i don't want it to happen so i'm not going to believe it type of thing right like it's very easy to fall into that mentality but clearly you're open-minded enough and you know again have the foresight to say well okay, maybe right now I won't be able to make the same dollars or, or this might be disruptable. But if I get smart and start being able to develop these applications, mm-hmm. now I have the opportunity to grow even bigger. And so many people will take the easy route, right? So many people will take the comfortable route of, no, I don't think it's going to work. Let's stick with what, what's currently working. Why do we need to change it, right? Everyone hates change. Sure. But now, obviously, you went the right route. So you get into the app development game, correct? Yeah. I started doing that in 2009, 2010. Yeah. And what like so 2010, so those apps still kind of like sucked. <laughs> they were they were terrible, right? Yeah. Yeah, right, it was like, early it was early days, right? The the developer tools weren't all there. You know, there weren't uh, there wasn't a huge pool of of talent that was well versed in this. So, you know, for me it was a lot of trial and error and experimenting with different groups in China or Brazil or India or the Ukraine and all these different places and finding um, developer talent that some I had to cut ties with and fire. And then the ones that, that uh, proved to be worth 
uh, anything I, I kind of maintain relationships with. And then designers too, right? Like user experience designers. I had to go through a dozen of those before I found somebody that I felt like could really deliver on all the stuff that I wanted to build. So yeah, there's definitely some trial and error involved in all of that stuff. I, I Again, I think it's awesome though, the fact that you're able to kind of, I mean, I, did you ever make any wrong moves? Was there anything that you were like, this is coming up, this is the next big thing, and it turned out to be a total dud? Uh, I mean, look, the jury's still out on that one, right? That's, like, okay, good point, it, you know, good point. It's still I'm not rooting days. for this either. I'm rooting for you, man, but, like, you no, know, no, I got to no, ask. I, you know? Yeah, no. You know, look, there's probably maybe, like, an idea. Well, so, yeah, I've had a few ideas that didn't pan out, right? Um, and, I, you know, some of it is market conditions or timing. Some of it is execution, in, in all honesty, right? Me just being young or naive or inexperienced and not knowing how to execute completely. Some of it is putting too much trust into others and not, you know, seeing them execute to, to like the understanding of the relationship necessarily. Um, so yeah, I mean, sure, I've had plenty of failures and and um, you know some small things that aren't things that I would consider huge failures, but. You know, I mean, every day as an entrepreneur, you're you've got ups and downs and things that you're battling, and some days it's awesome and great, and then an hour later it can be the world's falling apart. So, um, yeah, I've I've made plenty of mistakes along the way. Yeah, I think when it comes to you know the the iPhone and my pivot into smartphone application development, right? Like, I think that I do have um, one one characteristic is. Yeah, being open-minded to your point earlier, but seeing the writing on the wall too, right? So, you know, I didn't think that feature phones were going to last once the smartphone devices started to hit the market. So maybe I just saw the writing on the wall and that was enough for me to go and try something new. And to your point, you're going to you're gonna earn less money up front, right? Because you're going and pivoting, but ultimately it's, it's what's better for me and my career path, so. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been pretty boring if you were still in feature phone de- app development, right? I don't know how many too many how many people even have those anymore. I feel like that's third world countries, right? Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. Hopefully, they yeah. get those iPhones soon, though. Uh, maybe those <laughs> iPhone eights coming in for them. Uh, no, go. that's I think that's a little insensitive. But what are you going to do? Yeah, um, yeah. So, so again, going back to uh, seeing the writing on the wall, having that foresight, being able to look at things. So you you start developing as well recently started developing an NFT esports marketplace, right? So back top of the pandemic, I think it was right around the beginning of the pandemic, NBA Top Shot was going bananas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When it started, when it came out, I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. Do I still think it's the dumbest thing in the world? It's not the dumbest, but it's one of the dumber things, right? Why am I, it's, it's you don't own the clip, it's licensed and yeah. you, you, there's no, there's nothing attached to it. You just own a GIF of Alex Caruso with a layup. Yeah, it still doesn't make any sense to me. Sure. But Top Shot brought NFTs to the absolute forefront of the internet for a significant period of time, and it's still obviously very, very towards the forefront. But when Top Shot happened, that's when I feel like most of the world, right? You might have been a little deeper into it, but most of the world, that's when we really heard about NFTs and like, what the heck is fungible anyway? Mm-hmm. Never even heard mm-hmm. this word, right? I'm sure you had that conversation a million times. So talk to me about the progression of understanding nfts when you when you really got into this with the blockchain and and seeing top shot i guess the the in between there and seeing mm-hmm. top shot and what it did to the internet and then hopefully making something a little bit better yeah so you know 2018 is when i started like um experimenting and and diving deeper into cryptocurrency in general right so bitcoin mining ethereum mining and then looking at all the different coins and in 2017 was like the wave of ICOs and things like that. So so I I had a, a pretty, you know, general baseline knowledge of cryptocurrency and coins. 2019 is when I started to hear rumblings of NFTs and then 2020 is when I first, you know, saw the Top Shop product and I thought when I saw it like this is super cool. And you know, I think I was a little naive when I first started to see it because I didn't think about the the fact that it was licensed and that you didn't own that moment necessarily. So I didn't understand the business aspects of it entirely. But I did think to myself, wow, this is super cool. I think that this could be re- replicated in in an esports model. And what I mean by that is taking, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan, I'm a I'm a video gamer, right? 
I watch a lot of Twitch content. So a lot of streamers on Twitch. And I think that, you know, for them, one of the product offerings that they could have is the ability to create highlight clips from their streams, turn those into digital assets and sell them to their fan base and develop a deeper, you know, more engaged community through ownership in those digital assets, right? Rewarding that fan base for um, supporting them from a digital asset perspective. And, you know, look, the, the way that I look at it is like, you know, Mike Trout has tens of thousands of baseball cards in the world, but nobody, Mike Trout has no idea who is a fan of his that owns that, that digital baseball card. I think that the blockchain um, is, is really fantastic in this application because we can take a snapshot at any time and a content creator can see specifically who his fan base and, and ownership group is and reward that, that group based on that. So I think that that's real powerful stuff. Yeah, I've never heard about it. Put I've never heard it put like that before. I think that's a really cool way of, of because yeah, as you said, with the blockchain, you can see exactly who owns it, where it is in the world, right? Like all that stuff, mm-hmm. which is super darn cool. And yeah, you're right. Mike Trout has a lot of baseball cards because he's absolutely incredible, one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, that is yeah, it's a really interesting way of putting it. I've never really kind of heard it like that. So so you're a big gamer, so you have this idea. So. What's it like working with all these different uh, all these different esports organizations, Greg? I'm I'm sure it's super easy, and you were able to put this together and went off without a hitch. Yeah, so um, turns out just like the NBA Top Shots and licensing that product with the NBA, um, Call of Duty is owned and operated by Activision, and they own the content rights for that. And then on the flip side, you know, trying to wrangle. 10 esports organizations in the Call of Duty Professional League is a lot like herding cats, right? When I was bringing, when I was, you know, describing the the business to these orgs, most of them hadn't even heard of what NFTs were at the time. So there was an education around that. Um, And turns out that none of them actually want to play in a sandbox together, even if it's for the greater good of the, uh, of the industry of them as a as an organization they just they didn't you know they they just felt like they could go you know run their businesses on their own and you know what's interesting is esports organizations you know historically don't aren't even profitable right you look at phase clan and they're uh, i guess they're spac and they went public and you know they're 50 million in the hole last year 30 million in the hole one of the two i apologize if i if I misquote it, but you know, they are not producing, you know, returns as of right now and 95% of them probably aren't. So it was, it was, I was curious as to why there was so much pushback on it. So all the while I was going down that road, trying to wrangle cats, um, the NIL decision comes down last July and the NIL stands for name, image, and likeness. And, and that ruling changes it so that, High school and college players can now make money off of their name, image, and likeness. And I thought this was the moment where my experience as a former athlete, my network with, you know, Matt Leinart and all the guys that I played football with and what they were currently doing and my technology background and my understanding of this digital asset space and blockchain. And um, I thought that this was the moment where all of all of what I had been kind of working on the last 15 years was that intersection in time where I thought this is exactly where I need to be. I love that, man. I think that's important. Now, I do want to, before we start talking about Hall of Goats and everything that you're doing on the NIL mm-hmm. side with these athletes, I do want to talk just a little bit more about NFTs, right? Because sure. my, again, my first introduction to them was Top Shot. I thought it was dumb still think it's dumb it's cool if everyone likes it it is it's a it's a fun product right it's it's essentially just baseball cards right? or basketball yeah. cards it's cool I, i've yeah. got nothing against it, it it's sure. interesting moving basketball cards but i think the important thing that people you know i've had multiple people on so thankfully i know a little bit more than the next guy about nfts but i think the important thing is those contracts that are tied to the nfts right mm-hmm. like there's these smart contracts that have utilities attached to them so if you own it you actually get something it's not just a gif on your phone with top shot right? You actually get something when you're working with NFTs. So if you don't mind just giving us like a crash course, a two minute, maybe even one minute on 
like the utilities that can come with something like this before we kind of dive into Hall of Goats and everything that these uh, these athletes are getting and the people that own the NFTs are getting. Right. So, so you know, the NFTs are great because of the technology, that the underlying technology, the blockchain for one, which is a, you know, transaction ledger that can, you can immediately verify ownership of an asset. Because of that, you're able to offer utility and access to NFT holders in various ways. I think the first wave of NFTs were these 10,000 randomly generated PFP projects, Bored Apes, CryptoPunks, and those are your blue chip type of you know NFT projects. They're great. They're not going anywhere. I think that you saw the cash grab with you know, the gregarious giraffes and the pretty penguins and all this other nonsense that had very shallow roadmaps and no true utility or thought process behind them. So I think that that wave, that initial wave of NFTs is all but dead. I think to your point, the smart contract is where the value lies in these NFTs. At some point in the, in the not so far future, right, I'm going to be able to sell my home through a smart contract. I won't have to go to escrow and title and get all this verified paperwork and sign my name 900 times in a 50-page document to transfer ownership of a home, right? That can be a digital transaction and it can happen like that. There is a um, a documentary called Who the F is Jackson Pollock? I don't know if you've seen or heard of the documentary, but the you know long story short jackson pollock used to send artwork to his brother who lived in riverside california or san bernardino or something and his brother would sell these things when he was low on cash right um at the time it wasn't what a jackson pollock is worth today anyway some lady ends up getting a hold of one of these jackson pollocks from a garage sale or wherever it was and the art community says nope that is not a real jackson pollock it's not worth the 20 million dollars that it should be worth so no chance the forensic science comes in scrapes the paint off of it matches it to the paint in jackson pollock's garage where he painted it and the art community still says no well with digital assets and the blockchain that won't happen i can immediately even the process for physical baseball cards right if i own mike trout's you know one of ten baseball cards i have to spend $25 to ship it to a grader, pay that person $150 to grade it, verify it, and then ship it back to me. That's a three-week process and just cost me $200 on top of what I spent acquiring the Mike Trout baseball card. Well, now, you know, Top Shots might be a silly product to you, but if there's somebody on the other side willing to buy that product, it can happen in the snap of a finger, right? There are, it's not some complicated process. It's a digital asset on a ledger. I have the ability to send it to somebody if they pay me what I'm asking for at fair market value or whatever that is. That's the power, you know, that, that is some of the power of NFTs and smart contracts, right? There's so many more applications that I think have yet to be seen, right? There's something called financial NFTs where you can unlock, you know, if certain things happen in the world financially, it unlocks an NFT that releases value or some other monetary compensation to friends or family, living trusts. There's all types of different applications that we'll see in the next few years as it relates to NFTs. To be honest, I don't even know that they'll be called NFTs. I think smart contracts is a better term for it. I think that the nomenclature changes as, as you know, the sentiment of these things in the market. So we'll see where that lands in a few years. But I think we're just scratching the surface on what digital assets ultimately are. Yeah, I mean, if, if half the things that you said are are true and happening, right? Like, what, what are the other things that, yeah, you or I or mm-hmm. some kid in some random country hasn't even thought of yet, right? All these opportunities. Totally. And if, if, it's, if it's as seamless as as easy, people will, you know, we love convenience here. We yeah. love convenience. So if we don't have to sign our name 900 times and you can tell me I could just like snap my fingers and the house is sold. Yeah, I'm yeah. probably, yeah. W- once I see it happen a couple times, probably right. going to go and do that. And I consider myself a little more conservative when it comes to that stuff than other people. So I do think that 
That is pretty cool. So let's talk about Hall of Goats. Um, so everyone get out their bingo card. NIL, NFT, blockchain-based game. I love it. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like a bingo card. And I think you did mm-hmm. you did a great job at that, Greg. Make sure you got all those buzzwords in, right? But talk to me a little bit. What exactly is it? I, I want to understand the NIL aspect of it. I want to understand the NFT aspect of it. And then obviously the game, as you said, we've touched upon NIL, NFTs, and the games that you love, right? How did you come up with the idea to just smash all these things together? So NIL is the big opportunity, the big shift in the industry, right? Now that kids can make money off of their name, image, and likeness, this is the opportunity for these kids to live on forever in a video game and have you know, long-tail revenue opportunities for themselves, right? 98% of kids aren't going to go pro, but some of them are going to have some of the most storied careers in college imaginable. In order to go on to the NFL or the NBA and have truly successful careers, there's so many factors and variables that take place um, that that you know ensure that somebody goes on to having an incredible career, right? You could be sitting, be, you know, look at Tom Brady. You have to sit behind Drew Bledsoe. He's got to get hurt, and then you get your chance, right? You've got to be in a system that's going to you know allow you to develop as a player. You have to have the right coach, the right GM, the right ownership group, the right roster. There's so many variables. You have to stay healthy. Um, So there are opportunities for kids in college and in high school, right, that will never have that professional career. But they are at their peak in this high school, college moment. So let let us help them strike while the iron, iron is hot. So this NIL opportunity is really the big change in the world. And, you know, we are able to tap into that through the video game, right? There are all these... NIL opportunities out there, whether it's NFT platforms or merch platforms or whatever those may be. But the video game is our way to, to capitalize on this NIL space, bring in athletes into this video game and let them generate revenue from their initial drop as a digital avatar. And then all the micro microtransactions that happen in game that everybody's familiar with. The big shift here is from this web two, you know, paradigm shift to this web three which is true ownership in video games and digital assets, right? If I am, you know, a, a player that plays Fortnite, a gamer that plays Fortnite, and I spend a thousand dollars on skins, when I walk away from Fortnite, those skins live in Fortnite, and I never get to do anything with them, right? So for us, there's there's three opportunities you know, in our business model, right? There's three ways to make money: that initial avatar drop, then all of the in-game transactions, microtransactions digital merchandise purchases, season passes, all of the traditional in-game transactions, and then secondary marketplace transactions, right? So if I buy a Caleb Williams or a Matt Liner player avatar, gamer avatar, game avatar, excuse me, and I level it up and I sell it on the secondary marketplace, those players earn a royalty percentage on all those secondary marketplace transactions. So, you know, EA and, and your current video game publishers are limited to that in-game transaction bucket. We've got this player avatar drop where we earn money, those in-game buckets, and then the secondary marketplace transactions. And it's not just players, right? All the content that is unlocked within the game can be looked at as digital assets, right? Whether I have a dance, a celebration, a taunt, digital merchandise, or any of these you know, customizable things for my characters can all be viewed as digital digital assets, which can be sold on a secondary marketplace. So for us, the gamers really have ownership in, in the time and money that they're investing in a game and can actually realize some profits or at least earn some of that revenue back in time back through the through the secondary marketplace. That is awesome, man. I think that it's just such a cool opportunity for athletes to get involved with, right? Just to have this digital avatar, as you said, you, multiple ways to make money. The the long tail, I think mm-hmm. that's the important part, right? As you said, so many of these athletes, they have to they have to strike while the iron's hot. I think to use your words, to at the peak of their um, celebrity, mm-hmm. to take advantage of their nil. Because once they leave college, it, it's you know right. It's like driving a car off the lot. Once you once you drive the car off the lot, it's worth ten thousand dollars less or whatever that number is, right? We all sure. heard that that silly saying. So unfortunately for these athletes, like that, that 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 if they do not go pro, especially in something like football, their star is going to fade relatively quickly unfortunately right whether that's it is what it is we're we're very much a what have you done for me lately society for better or for worse so with that though how how do you even like develop something like this like 
the like the the nft side of it the, the actual game like what is it is it just like you you brought up ea and you know like so is it is it the next you know cfb 23 or something like how are you guys like developing the actual game because if the game sucks no one's gonna want to care sure. about the avatars right so how are you guys making sure that the game is is fun and ex- like what exactly is it yeah so the you know we've got an idea so from a game perspective we're looking at a very different model than ea's uh, madden or ncaa right those are full sims those are like a 30 to 40 minute sit down on your couch experience right they have mobile versions um but it's the same same kind of experience for us we're looking at a seven to ten minute arcade style experience so it's seven on seven nice big hits big physics you know dancing taunting celebrations talking shit um and then customizing and then you know what we found in our research is that even madden players if, if you take 100% of their time spent on the game, 50% is playing the game, and then the other 50% is on the auction block just managing their team. So that's where we think that the opportunity lies, is, is building an arcade-style game that's really fun and approachable and easy to pick up and play. It's a 7- to 10-minute experience, so it's geared towards a mobile audience. And we're building it in Unity and able to deploy to mobile, um, PC, web, and console eventually. Um and it's just a completely different experience, right? We're not trying to compete with Madden one-to-one in their game. We are trying to come at it from a different approach um, and really make the athletes the star of the game. Um, and we think that that arcade style is what really offers and lends itself to that. Totally agree. And we're seeing that. We've seen it in NBA for a very long time, right? It's the stars. Mm-hmm. People are fans. I'm a fan of LeBron, right? Not as much anymore. I'm kind of over his shit. But, like, I'm a fan <laughs> of LeBron. So wherever LeBron's going, I'm rooting for that team to win. I couldn't care sure. less what team he's on. As long as it's not the Sixers, like, I'm going to root for him. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, it's it's just so interesting that now we're starting to see it a little bit more in the NFL, right? Kids are Patrick Mahomes fans. They're Justin Herbert fans. They're not Chargers fans or Chiefs fans. They're fans mm-hmm. of that athlete. Odell Beckham, I think that's another big one, right? I'm up here in the New York City area. So many people flock to be fans of Odell. Then he goes to, I mean, I rooted for the Rams to win because I wanted Odell to get one too, right? Like it's that it's that personality shift that you're only going to see it in the star players, right? Unfortunately, the defensive linemen, um, the, the offensive linemen, maybe like middle linebackers aren't going to get all the love that they deserve. But at mm-hmm. the same time, those wide receivers, running backs, um, quarterbacks are absolutely going to get the love and their their the fandom will travel with them wherever they go so i totally agree with you and yeah that arcade style like nfl blitz like dude let's go that's going to be awesome yeah and the other way that we ensure right like that's just the, the, the game concept but we're hiring top tier game studio talent right so these guys have run studios that have shipped EA's Madden for a decade and NCAA and Fight Night and all these huge sports titles. Um, We're bringing in that talent to run our studio to make sure that we build a kick-ass fun game. And really, like, our goal is to build a fun game that has, you know, staying power. We're going to layer in the digital avatars of the athletes. But as a gamer, you won't even realize necessarily that there is a blockchain element to the game. Mm -hmm. From our perspective, we just want you playing a fun arcade-style college football game. And the perk to playing our game is that you'll be able to buy and sell players and become a GM, so to speak, and and extract some of the value from the platform when you ultimately sell your assets. Yeah, that is that is that will be a lot of fun, right? Free to play game, and then you know it's the, it's the it's the transactions within it. Yeah, the the buying, the selling, the actually being a GM with these college athletes, I think, will be super cool. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like, are you? Are, I'm I'm sure some of this is happening in tandem, right? Creating this game and making sure that it's going to be fun. But you have these grand grand ideas. Are you going to the current athletes? Are are you going to you know old friends like Matt Liner and Reggie Bush and saying, hey man, like you could be the legends in the game, right? Like mm-hmm. you guys have the opportunity to be in this just from a legendary standpoint. Like how, how are you kind of building out both aspects of it to make sure that, you know, you don't launch the game with only 10 athletes and they're only USC guys versus, you know, Hey, you have yeah. to, a lot yeah. of people want to see something before they really dive into it. So we are signing athletes, right? Like we don't have any difficulty getting to any athletes to your point, we are signing former legends and current players in par- like uh, at the same time. And our, our go-to market strategy is pairing 
a current star at a school with a legend from that school and pitting them against a rival of a current player at that rival school with a legend at that school also. And, you know, you take USC's game against Texas in the Rose Bowl years and years ago. Um, you know, one of our taglines in our marketing campaign is, you know, rewrite history, right? So you buy the athletes from SC, you buy the athletes from Texas. Once they're into the game and you're able to play them, you can change the outcome of that game, if you will. So, so to your, you know, to answer your question, we're going after current and former players, right? Because, and that's the other thing, right? I, I think what this game provides is the ability for us to reach out to former legends in college and bring them back into the fold and make them relevant again and surround them surround the current players with these former players that they want to be around because you know they followed in their they're effectively following in their footsteps and grew up watching them play so it's cool and and it's fun to see the excitement around um the current players working with former players and then the former players coming back to the schools and being relevant again in in a way um so that's certainly part of our strategy is leveraging both current and former athletes uh, give me a little Caleb Williams dumping the ball off to Reggie Bush for some, uh, some some Vince Young handed it off to Bijan Robinson. Man, I'll, I'll watch that game one hundred percent. I would yeah. love, love, love to watch that game again. That game was that USC Texas game was also one of the greatest college football games I've ever watched in my entire life. We don't want to talk about that too much, though. I, I, I apologize. Um, so I think that's such an awesome concept. How much? Now I'm just kind of on the curiosity train. How much like? Um, you want the players, right? The people that are the kids, the, the the adults playing the game. You want them to have as much customization as possible. But how much do the athletes themselves get, right? Like, do they get to pick what their hairstyle looks like, or like, like how 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 yeah. deep do you go into that side of it, right? Because you need it to look like that person to to some extent, right? Like, so I guess mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, like, how much say do they have in this whole thing? Yeah. So we'll before we um, start on character uh, development, right? We actually have a design brief sit down with each athlete and talk about their hair and the accessories that they might want and things like that so they have a a, a large like piece of input on their ultimate design um which has been cool because they get excited about it too and like you know this game won't um feature helmets right it will just Mm -hmm. be character faces um so that's cool like because you know some of them have earrings or braids or whatever it is that they want to kind of, you know, make sure that gets included in their brand. Um, and it's been fun to see um, their reactions to like how cool some of these things come out. That so, is awesome. I think yeah. that's really important, right? As you said, we're trying to lean into star power. If you put a helmet on someone's head during the game, can't really see it. Right. So right. I think that that part's pretty awesome. And I know we're like running up against time here, but I do have another uh, one last question for you. I mean, I have a billion mm-hmm. more questions now that we're really getting sure. into it. But my one last question, we spoke about EA a little bit, right? EA Sports 2023, NCAA 2023 going to be coming out. We're all super hyped about it, right? I had 2004. I had the Mario Manningham one. I can't remember if that was 2004, 2003, whatever. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Absolutely fantastic. The game was incredible. Now athletes have the opportunity to get paid for being in this video game, right? But mm-hmm. it's it's on these group licensing deals. It's not on these deals where it's like, hey, CJ Stroud, you're going to get what you deserve because people are going to play Ohio State because you're here. No, like you're you're playing Ohio State because Ohio- okay, so what, what is going on? So how are you guys kind of almost the antithesis to that, making sure that the the athlete gets really what they deserve rather than a mm-hmm. hey, there's 150 of you and you guys can split this X dollars however you want. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, because we're seven on seven, right? Like we don't need as many players for our game and we're giving these, you know, top tier athletes an opportunity to go seek out what the, what the market is going to dictate. Right. So, you know, they've got the ability to sell their digital asset, their digital avatar that will go into the game and let the market decide what their popularity is. Right. And if, they have a chance to generate, you know, $60,000 worth of digital avatar sales. Great. Good for them because, you know, they've earned it and the market says, yeah, you deserve this. Um, and I think that's the real opportunity, right? And we're also starting to hear that top tier talent, especially is opting out of big group licensing deals because there is a fair market value out there and they, and they want to go see what that looks like. I think that's super important and kudos and congratulations to you. My actual last question before we get to like socials and where can we learn more sure. the contracts themselves. 
do the athletes again get more get say into what goes into those smart contracts? What what are some of the standard things you guys have been seeing so far when signing these up? Because I think again, that's the coolest part about the NFT is what you actually get outside of just owning you know that digital avatar at this point. So so when it comes to the smart contract, those are all built the same across all the players. The individual contract, right? The written contract does vary from player to player because some of them are, you know, they want a shorter term or they want, um, you know, we ask for promotion on social. We also ask for game-worn items so that we can give those things away to their fan base and help them interact. And, you know, we try to guide the athletes on our platform with tips and tricks for how to engage with their audience in different ways and reward their, um, you know, their digital asset holders. Um, so, you know, I think that the, the, the nuance of the contracts varies from player to player, but that's in the written contract. The smart contract is the same across all the players at this point. Very cool, man. Awesome. Well, Greg, this has been absolutely fantastic. Now, my last question, where can we find more your socials, Hall of Goats, learn a little bit more about the game. When's it coming out? Give us all that fun stuff. Yeah. So Hall of Goats, uh, com is where you can, you know, get a link to our Twitter, our Instagram and our discord, you know. Please come follow us and and uh, and follow the journey. The game isn't slated to come out until December of 2023 or January of 2024. Don't quote me, but you know that's what we're aiming for. Um, and in October, we'll have we'll actually release like a sizzle trailer about the game and the company and um, you know the the value proposition for our gamers and our athletes alike. So. Stay tuned for that. That'll that'll be dropping in October. And then our first drops with player avatars will happen in November. So um, you, when you say October, right do you mean October like in two weeks, October? Like, it, yeah, it, the game trailer will probably be in four, uh, six weeks from now. Five oh, to six wow. weeks from now. Let's so it's go. right around the corner. Good stuff, man. It's starting to become real. That is incredible. Well, a lot of hard work went into it. You guys have done a lot of cool shit to get here. So I'll make sure all of that is in the show notes for everybody. Greg, thank you so much for your time. Thank everybody here for their time. It's the only thing we don't get more of. So I really appreciate you giving me some of yours. But other than that, man, good luck. Kudos. Congratulations. Keep changing the world. And let's get it, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate you having me, man. But it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. Appreciate it, man. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 